0: My girlfriend at the time, she'd gone out to London, she'd turned off her phone, I thought she was having an affair, all this kind of stuff, and I took a knife and I cut my chest open.
1: welcome to the show. Welcome
2: everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited because it's taken almost two years to get this guy across from me on the podcast. Um, And uh, his name is Thomas Bell, but also known as Bipolar Businessman. Um, I saw uh, Thomas uh, speaking at an event uh, I believe you've got up and got everyone in sort of law firms and boring jobs to to get really involved. And that's why I sort of quacked you and introduced myself. Um, welcome to the show, Thomas.
0: Thank you very much. Very pleased to be here.
2: It's great to have you here. So um, fill in the blanks a little bit. What is, it, what is it that you do? What are you passionate about at the moment?
0: Um, so at the moment, I am passionate very much about magic. I have taken a long journey through the world of mental health. I've worked with a number of different businesses. Um, I started my kind of journey about three years ago in early 2016, when I decided that not enough men were standing up and talking about mental health. Um, And as a chap who has a background as a bit of a thespian, I was thrown out of drama school, um, for my mental health issues, there wasn't really a support network there. I felt that it was only, you know, it was a purpose for me really at that point to say, okay, I can stand up. I don't really care what people think of me, to be honest. Um, so maybe I should stand up where other men maybe can't. And if that empowers other guys to do the same, then there can't be anything wrong with that. Um, so initially, I started uh, writing a blog called the bipolar businessman obviously yeah. <laughs> um and uh if you want to go to that blog it's just the bipolar businessman.com like to keep things simple so you know exactly where you're targeting Absolutely. um and, and effectively i'm not sort of a repressed writer or one of these kind of kind of blog obsessed people um, I just thought this is a good way to vent. I didn't really know what a blog was. I thought if you had a crap book and no one wanted to buy it, you probably had a blog. So I think it's probably become <laughs> a lot more than that now. The millennials among us will probably stone me for that context. But I I just wanted really a vent to kind of try and understand what was I going through every day and also understand um, what the journey was in a sense. So not necessarily just... I've had a shit day, I'm going to put that down on paper, but also understand whether there was any positivity in what I was writing. So I wanted to know whether I was only driven to write something poignant off the back of a negative episode or whether I was ever driven to write something off the back of a positive episode. And actually what I found over time is it's actually harder to write about positive things. It's much easier to write about negative things
2: why do you think that is is it are we just like bubbling up at that stage so it begins to overflow and it's just easier
0: i think that for me personally there's kind of an anxiety and an adrenaline Mm -hmm. when something offends you in some way and i don't mean offend as in i'm pretentious and i care about what everybody says i'm relatively chilled out i'm a bit of a hippie i like kind of most people i'll I'll kind of like to assimilate and, and just have fun with people nowadays I, I can't be asked with any kind of stiff upper lip bullshit or, or or that kind of pretense that comes with you know our societal understanding of how to deal with individuals let alone people with mental health because there's a whole different ball game going on in terms of how we interact with other humans right now. Yeah. So I guess kind of I wanted to see how it would evolve me and I think the problem is when you're enjoying yourself certainly more recently I try to just leave myself in that place of enjoyment Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so I'm not thinking oh right I better go and blog about this to let everyone know how much I enjoy myself because that's not very present and Mm -hmm. if we're all (laughs) trying to be mindful and more focused on kind of what is giving us pleasure day to day, then that's kind of one of the primary factors, I think. I think we have to switch off. We have to try and lose that negativity. If I put a checklist down for how negative I am as an individual, obviously, I'm proper British, so I love a good moan.
2: Yes.
0: I love a good queue as well. If you can find me a queue, we'll stand in that. But I think British people, we gain strength from moaning. I've tried to explain this to a lot of people Please who don't get it. explain
2: it to me because I'm right, not British and it's beyond me.
0: It's a real driver
2: for But us, is it a bonding, you know, bonding yeah. experience? Say again? Is it a bonding experience?
0: I think it's actually, it is kind of that adversity. Yeah. You know, it could stem back pre, post-war, etc., where you just have that camaraderie, the shit's hit the fan, but actually we're together, we're doing it together. And there is this kind of element of society here. But also overseas, when you go overseas and you meet Brits, it's kind of that same mentality. Are oh, the beers poor or X, Y, and Z? And you kind of find that commonality. But I think for me, actually, part of it is actually ridding yourself. It's like if you're in a relationship and you're in a healthy relationship and you bitch and moan at each other all the time, and people think, wow, that relationship's going to fail. But you're getting off your chest, right? It's the guys Better who out bottle it, it up for oh. uh, years and years, and that is that repressed rage that can end that kind of relationship. So I think it's the same in terms of this state of affairs. We go through so many peaks and troughs as a society in general anyway, that I think that people just like a good rant. And if we have a bit of a bitch about something, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. That can sometimes deplete that negative energy to the point where you're driving forward with a different focus.
2: Can't so it no, also it's... become? Can't it also become a negative, like reinforcing loop, of of sort of being able to just notice the negatives rather than see the positives?
0: Yeah. So actually, I feel that that's some some kind of. There's something within me now that's not where I want it to be in terms of that mentality. So yes, I love a good moan. Yes, I fit with a Brit, but at the same time. If I counted on a daily basis, I did this the other, the other day, so I've got five-star hotel clients where I make uniforms for these, for these organizations, and one of my five-star hotel clients invited me to one of their hotels, okay, which is silly amount of money for the room. Mm-hmm. Um, silly amount of money for everything, really, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and I, I found it quite hard not. To be negative, not necessarily about anything that the hotel had done specifically, but just generally. And because I was in this kind of calm place, I just started trying to pick up in my mind on what these negatives were. And you know, I was walking down to the beachfront and trying to think about what was positive about that and things. <laughs> but I got shit all up my trousers. <laughs> I bought some new shoes. I didn't realise it was muddy on the way there. And I don't care about material things, right? So I look like a posh bastard because I like fancy clothes. But at the same time, I I'm kind of chilled out about it. it's just stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? If my kid paints all over the wall. It's just stuff. I yeah. can repaint it. Let's not get
2: yeah. too much anxiety
0: about it. There's there's enough,
2: there's stuff, enough to, stuff to worry about, right? Without
0: <laughs> that, right. So, but I was thinking, you know, oh, Jesus, you know, I've stepped yeah. in this marshy bog. My shoes are wet. I've got shit all up my trousers. <laughs> and uh, not actual shit. Let's, let's <laughs> put it's that out there. in the context day. of mud. Yeah. I'm yeah. um, like sure. getting freaked out by this general conversation. Um but I just thought, oh, how, I'm being so negative about all these different attributes. And, um, and I continued to count and I continued to count. And I thought, I can't remember the last time I actually said something positive today. Even if it's a positive thing, hmm. it's almost got a negative spin. Like the sunset's beautiful. But, oh, wouldn't the sunset be more beautiful if that sodding guy wasn't in the way stand, standing in front of my Picture, you know, it's kind of like, why do you need to find that? Why can't it still be beautiful, irrespective of if the guy's standing there? You know, it's this, it's this mentality that we have, which I think can draw us back.
2: But so, so I I, I just want to identify. Do you think that's just because of our kind of me, me? I always want more kind of culture. Does it have to do with your actual mental health and your brain wiring about how you see the world? Like, what, what do you think that? I mean, and then you could talk about the cultural Brit thing. Um, But some people probably find it easier than others.
0: I think uh, you know we're in a sort of capitalist, oppressive society still to a degree, where everybody wants things and everybody wants possessions. Yeah. Um, And fundamentally until you realize that that's not what life's about, you're gonna be driven to this, right? And there's an anxiety behind not achieving whatever it is. So I say, you know, when I talk to businesses, I'm often saying, you know, at the start of our life, we're kind of sent to school and we're taught what to learn, but not really how to think for ourselves. Yeah. You know, then we sort of evolve Um, And we get to the point where we're told that you kind of have to go to university, you have to get good grades. So we're imparting a structure of what you have to do to achieve success. And then you have to get driving and you have to get your first car and then you have to go to university and then you have to pass university. And then when you come out, you've got a degree. No one really gives a shit. But you have to go and get a job, yeah. uh, which is great for you because, you know, with your background and things like that, I've always been of the mindset that it's down to the individual. Um, but in our society, initially, it was, it was kind of it, for a long time. It was very much about what.
2: Yeah, you get a mortgage, you get married, die? Yeah. Um,
0: And and then you leave university you try and get a job you're looking for a girlfriend you find a girlfriend you have to get married then you've got to get a house because that's the next thing and that's a mortgage So that's a worse situation because you've got more of a job to pay for that mortgage and then you get married and you have kids and you've you got, missed your life you got. and mm-hmm. kind of this mentality has driven us globally to kind of drive towards possession and the biggest issue for me in that is that we're never going to find that end game you know if you look at the Dalai Lama and all of the major players in this kind of space talking about mindfulness they will all say the same thing which is that we find a point of interest for ourselves to drive towards because that keeps us going day to day but once we achieve that goal we find the next point so we're never going to be at the end of the journey you might do that for the rest of your life but it doesn't necessarily mean you're achieving anything no also in a society where we're told that if we don't know what filter to put on or how to pout as a female this is what really pisses me off um the kind of the female influencer online trying to make it looked like they've got yeah. this perfect lifestyle. Yeah. There was a great documentary actually called Fire Festival. Oh, There's yeah. a couple I of documentaries about this yeah. Fire Festival, the greatest festival that never happened. Yeah. And um, the whole concept concept is around these rich millennials buying ten thousand up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollar tickets for this festival, um, and then it turned into a complete tragedy. It's brilliant. Search Fire with F- Fyre and. I think everybody's going to be excited to explore that journey with them. Um, But we're in this society where that's the driver. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we're a better person because we know how to look better in an image. We're just trying to portray our life in the way that we feel that we've been programmed to acknowledge what's successful and what's not successful.
2: Yeah, which is making people people unhappy. unhappy dissatisfied uh and generally frustrated and mental health issues are on the rise Um, so give us let's go right back thomas let's hear a little bit about your story so um first of all what was the context like growing up like was mental health talked about was it something that you were aware of well before your own sort of struggles with it
0: um no to be honest not really i mean my my father was I mean, he was later on, I found out he was a repressed homosexual. Um, he was with my mother for 14 years. He was in a previous marriage prior to that. Um, and my parents, my mum and dad were together for about 14 years in this kind of oppressive, controlling, fucked up environment. So my home life was very aggressive. Um, I mean, we had posters over most of the doors cause they'd been punched through regularly. Um, I think my earliest memory was of my dad smashing everything within my older sister's room. She was a few years older than me and uh, she hadn't done the washing up or something. or She hadn't loaded the dishwasher, something trivial, you mm. know, which is why, you know, kids, if you don't do the dishes, I'm <laughs> not going to get upset about it. You know, yeah. life's too short. Um, so I think you should have structure in your life, but I think you can go too far. So I kind of grew up in this environment where there was just anxiety to the point where a, a police car, I mm. mean, there was some sort of fight in the street, nothing to do with my dad, ironically, but there was a fight in the street one night when I was young and all these police cars turned up with their sirens and my mum said I was just out cold. Mm. So i I developed a defense mechanism early on that you go to sleep in time of trauma Mm -hmm. So I would kind of try and find a place where I could just go to sleep and then fall asleep and then all of that would go away. But then I wet the bed probably until I was like 14, 15 years old. So there was some repressed kind of anxiety within my mind because you can't just turn it off like that. It's still going to be knocking around. And so that was kind of very difficult for me. But there wasn't, I mean... just wasn't anything relating to mental health it was just you kind of just had to accept
2: that was your normal as well that sort of context yeah yeah and i think
0: my 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 mother is is gay um and she's got a female partner and things like that so when my my mother and father split up when i was about 12 13 um my mother at that point then had a female partner and she had said You know, I felt that all my life, she didn't tell me this until I was about 21, 22 and really pushing for questions and answers. Um, But she said, you know, I've always felt like this, but we were never in a society where this was acceptable. Mm. So this is why people keep asking me if I'll write a book, because to have that on on my mother's side and my father's side, um, but very much different kind of camps in in a sense now my mother is kind of open to 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 how she lives her life but I never had the conversation with my father and then he died and I found out all sorts of stuff after he died so there was never a chance to kind of bridge that gap take the more mindful um Thomas Duncan Bell now and then talk to talk to my dad about kind of how to maybe even change. You know, one of the biggest regrets for me actually is that I can't take what I've learned now and change, how do um, you and ch- change him.
2: Or change um, him so support and him. that's
0: kind yeah. of frustrating because I feel like I probably, maybe not, you know, old guys nowadays, you get to a certain point, you're slightly set in your ways, yeah. right? So we there's, there's a restriction to some degree. <laughs> but I think that in being able to understand that anger, You know, as I was growing up, I just fought anger with anger. So as soon as I was big enough to stand up for myself, then it became a case of he was concerned as to whether I was going to kick his ass. Right. So it kind of got to this point where there was always this kind of power struggle. And I think the person I am now doesn't really need that. I don't really care who can kick anyone's ass. It doesn't really bother me. Whereas my dad would walk down the street and if you caught eyes with him and he felt that you were looking at him in a specific way, he'd probably come and have a word with you.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and he had so much sort of rage invested within him that it could go any which way. He was a manic driver. He cut people up. He would, if you, if you cut him up, I mean, he was a good driver. Don't get me wrong. He was like a rally car driver, but if you cut him up, he would follow you home. And he'd have a pickaxe handle in his back, back seat. So if you wanted to kick off at him, or you're a big lad, then it didn't make any difference. You know, it was this kind of yeah, oh, this God. rage, constant yeah. rage. So I kind of had that in me when I left home and things. You know, when I got if I went into a club and someone banged into me or whatever, there was this rage. You know, and and that was a very difficult thing to kind of get through it's only now i don't i don't have that same level of adrenaline for for that i realize how insignificant that is fundamentally when people have got other shit to deal with
2: so there's obviously there's some learnt behavior there being in that kind of hectic environment um this sort of uh developed for you would can you identify with um the idea of having a rock bottom or a point where it's a catalyst moment where things have gotten so bad that you think I've got to do something about this.
0: Yeah. I think for me there was, oh, there was just one night when had a girlfriend been with her for about two years. She had gone out. I didn't have any money. I was poor. I didn't have pennies in the bank. I had nothing. My dad had died at this point and I was just working in a sales company because I went to, Uh, an old managing director i i'd worked with when i was younger and said look i just need a job where i'm like nine till five i can do it you know sitting on my hands but i don't have to think about running my own business because at that time i'd probably run my own business for about a couple of years let's say
2: okay so
0: you've had that Um, experience yeah so i I thought i just need some downtime i need to get my head around what the hell is this um and so i did that but uh my girlfriend at the time, she'd gone out to London, she'd turned off her phone, I thought she was having an affair, all this kind of stuff, and I took a knife and I cut my chest open, and I realised, like a combat knife, you know, I'm a martial artist at the end of the day, my father was a martial artist, so that's inherent and we like weapons, but I, I'm kind of, I, I was just, I didn't know how to release anything. What My first instinct actually was, oh, where can I get some alcohol? Mm-hmm. And because I didn't have any money at the time and I didn't have a penny in my bank, I was like, I literally haven't got any alcohol. Now. I've got no way to knock myself out. Mm-hmm. So that was really hard because all I wanted to do was go to sleep. And I just couldn't go to sleep because the adrenaline was raging at that point where I just couldn't. So I cut my chest and I thought, this is a bad way. I'm in a bad way. And I remember going to, I was in Guildford at the time. I went to the Guildford police station and I walked there it was probably 45 minutes to an hour to the police station I'd say so I still had the adrenaline to the point where I would walk that far to seek help
2: and were, they were took you, me in were you Sorry, intent, were you intending to uh, end your life or was it just this, I feel so overwhelmed almost like self-harming like I need it to release in some way
0: I was so part it partly was that you know I'd, when I was younger I'd cut myself before and this kind of thing and there's I've got tattoos and stuff and the, The whole concept of, you know, losing blood to a degree or that release of tension when you go through that kind of self harming phase. So that I guess kind of there was an element of that. But also, I'd tried to get counseling and support for depression and things before. And doctors had just said, okay, here's some
2: pills.
0: Here's some pills. (laughs) And I was like,
2: no, this mm-hmm. isn't
0: great yeah uh this isn't a great way to do things um obviously they're a little bit bit less American about it here so it wasn't it wasn't as bad but it, I mean that was the go-to that was from from the doc the first meeting with a doctor like no assess you don't know who the fuck I am yeah you're prescribing me some pills right off the back yeah good work um, and, and you, hadn't been, society. you hadn't
2: society. yeah totally that's exactly what happens if you're not had
0: any yourself, diagnosis or anything at this point. A, okay. So I didn't know what was going on with me. Okay. So even through the period of drama school and everything, I even thought I was gay because mm. I couldn't get a handle on how was I so sad. Mm. But I didn't know why I was so sad. And in my family, it's always been kind of a case of, yeah, don't talk about the fact you're sad, right? Just keep it on the down low. And so I didn't really have that outlet. I didn't feel I could speak to anyone. And I kind of... I kind of went to this police station, I think because I thought in my mind, it sort of worked like, okay, you go to the police and you, they're, they're open all hours. They're 24 seven, the police. Excellent. So you just go there. Um, and then they should be able to just give me a counselor or someone to talk to, or there must be someone on call, for example, but that just wasn't the case, you know? Oh. And I went there and they took my details and my name and address and they said oh can, are there any friends you can go to or anything like that I was like it's fucking three in the morning you know what i mean firstly none of my friends really know i've got any kind of depressive tendencies anyway right and secondly do i want to wake them up three in the morning and go hey I'm thinking i might kill myself <laughs> do you mind getting stuck into that yeah yeah um, uh, try and help me out a bit <laughs> By the way, no build up. Um, So yeah, so they said basically your options are either you can go home or you can call a friend and try and go to theirs, or we can put you in a cell for the night, and you can stay like in a police cell.
2: (laughs) I was like, yeah, fuck that. (laughs) So
0: (laughs) I was like, okay. I said, don't worry, I'll just call a friend. I'll just call a friend. And I went and. Um, I didn't call a friend. No. I was just like, I'm not calling my friends. It's okay. the middle of the night. I'm just going to go home. So I wandered about for a bit and then I went home. I don't remember any more of that night, to be honest.
2: There was um, some, the something, something quite powerful in just realizing that you had no friend that you would have been open with about like the real thing that was going on, the struggles, the messy bit and just, you know. And now, as, as, you know, you're so open and you have loads of people that you could just say, I'm feeling this or, you know, you 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 seem to have set up that support network in a way. But I see so many people who are struggling in isolation. They don't feel like they can talk to anyone. They feel like they're the only one feeling this way. They feel like they're going insane. And then with the little bits of help that they're, you're requesting from professionals, getting that kind of disappointment, it just kind of makes you go, well, fuck it. Why would I even go anywhere? I've got to figure this out on my own.
0: For me I kind of I I when I when I got to that point, you know, things with that partner at the time escalated and there were some violent episodes and all sorts of stuff and it got to the point where I was eventually stood on a train track waiting to take my own life, you know, watching the lights come and thinking okay when am I going to jump in front of this thing and you, it was that was kind of the catalyst for me where I was like I have to work out what the hell is wrong here
2: and how, so that's when
0: I, I went you? to the doctors really properly for the first time mm. and said you know I feel like I'm going to kill myself what can we do about this because it's not cool um,
2: <laughs> how, do you, how old were you when that moment happened that catalyst yeah. Oh,
0: um, I would say something like around 2021. 20, okay. so we're talking kind of how old am I now I've lost all concept of space and time probably about like let's say I'm 34 now so yeah a while ago but it was you know and I was in kind of I was in Guildford in Surrey so I went to the doctors and again they prescribed medication and I was like okay let's try this this time let's just let's just have a go so I tried it for about a month And I was working in sales and it was great from about 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. And then it got to the point where I couldn't answer your questions. You know, I was doing business with, you know, places like the Hurlingham Club where you need to be able to string a sentence together because otherwise (laughs) it's slightly embarrassing. Um, And so by the end of a month, I just binned them and I thought, this is shit. Let's get rid rid of it. I'm going to try and do this on my own. Yeah. Um, But then I was kind of, I was upset at the fact that no one said, oh, you can get some free counseling and support. So I thought, okay, let's kind of try and chase that focus. So I went to A&E. And again, I, I thought, okay, the, the worst thing is I had to, at the time, I didn't feel like killing myself when I went into A&E, but I had to say that I did you do. to get them to take me seriously because mm-hmm. they didn't give a shit. Mm-hmm so i was like okay i'm just gonna say i'm gonna kill myself and cry because i'm an actor so i can cry on demand if necessary let's do what i have to do to at least get someone with a degree a useful one (laughs) to actually tell me what the hell is going on with me and i sat with a guy for kind of four hours and he gave me a list of questions at first like 40 or 50 questions and I started reading through these questions and I said, you know, dude, this, uh, these questions are all the same, buddy. You just worded them in a different way, right? Yeah. Cause you're hoping that I'm going to go off in a tangent here and I'm going to be all a bit manic over here. Um, and I don't get that concept, but I was like, you know, you've got to kind of give me something that's a bit more dynamic than just the same set of 40 questions. I mean, they were really close Mm. to each other.
2: They like, weren't even really sad? by the end.
0: Are I you, like question 50. They weren't even trying. <laughs> it was like, what is your name? What name is yours? You know, it's that that kind of Yoda-esque thing. Yeah. And you think,
2: Jesus. You're like, why? How are you trying to catch me out?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So like, this is all to do with how you analyze what my issues are. Um, and he said, okay, Thomas, you're on the bipolar spectrum. And I said, I don't really know what that is. And he said, Well, you know, like Stephen Fry and guys like this. You know, you're not like bipolar one because you're not narcissistic enough. You're just pretty arrogant. So he was like, "You're," and then I felt like a failure because I was like, "Shit, man,
2: I'm I'm just going all
0: out arrogant," and you just shot me down and said, "I'm not even a narcissist."
2: (laughs) I can't even win at this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and he went, "You're mildly arrogant," and I was like, "Mildly." better work I'll try on that harder. yeah I'll try harder. so we went through this kind of process and I don't, I don't ever remember him really explaining to me he said you've got um, emotionally unstable personality disorder and this is all this can all stem as well from your upbringing and not learning some of those societal traits that you would usually you um sort of learn if you're if you've grown up in a stable environment where your parents are teaching you what they should teach you to fit into society.
2: Yeah.
0: Programming you, let's say. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I hadn't been programmed to fit into society. So apparently it's, you know, my (laughs) disorder meant that I was, it sounded like at the time, like you were going to wake up with a horse's head in the bed, you know, it's kind of like
2: (laughs) really weird. um, Mm.
0: I, I didn't really take anything from it. You know, they put me on a waiting list, and they said, you know, it could take anything up to three years for you to get this counselling. But I was adamant I wasn't going to pay for counselling mm-hmm. just because I was like, hey, I didn't really have that much money at the time anyway. So I didn't, you know, and 50 quid an hour or more. I mean, I'm in Surrey, right? So we can't all afford to go and spend five grand a week on the Priory or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it would be nice to take 28 days out and have that time but I've never had the money to be able to do that. And I didn't have parents in that sense who could support me financially to do this kind of thing. So I never, I've never had a break since I Mm. left home. I don't feel like I've ever had a real kind of break for headspace to some degree. Um, and I was on this waiting list and eventually, um, I split up with this girlfriend. I ended up moving to Essex, but then they flipped me onto another waiting list. Mm. And so I dropped to the bottom of that three month run again.
2: Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And then after a year or so, I came back to Surrey and And I flipped again to the bottom. Yeah. So then we're like, okay, this is kind of like a nine year thing, but at which point I'd gone to another doctor. I'd said the same thing about, I'd I'd made kind of attempts on my own life after that, at a later stage, um, through overdose and this kind of thing. And I still hadn't really got any kind of counselling. You know, I paid for an anger management counsellor at one point for about six months or so and this kind of stuff, but it wasn't really...
2: Getting to the root
0: and helping you understand. Yeah, it wasn't getting me anywhere. It wasn't driving me to the next level. So I thought at the end of the day, this is something that I've got to mentally stimulate myself. I've got to understand how I map my way. I think there's some sort of scientific process called remapping i've found out now um but i but at the time i didn't know what that was so i just kind of thought okay it's a mental thing if it's a mental thing i can train myself mentally to at least rid myself of some of the anxiety or get through certain periods learn
2: how to cope with it does that mean you started just educating yourself where you could um while waiting for additional support or was it just you know, white knuckling it and and struggling um, until some support became available.
0: To be honest, yeah, for a long time it was just white knuckling it. It was yeah. sex and drugs and rock and roll, and not really knowing what the hell was wrong with me and this kind of just thing. Still,
2: to in different ways, where you
0: could. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't very productive, to be honest. You know, but I think more in recent years, actually getting involved with the mental health space. I came in as a guy who didn't really know anything about the politics and the societal aspects of mental health. I've spoken quite openly about the NHS, which is far better now. And my sister is a you know, has been a fairly senior nurse and things in the NHS and stuff like this. So I think the the best thing about this country is that we've got an NHS and it's free and we can go and we can be saved and this kind of thing. But Just at the time, there was nothing for me, and there wasn't a support network. It wasn't like it is now. Now you could walk in, and there's a whole range of things that you can get Mm -hmm. to kind of support you through that journey, Um, but there just wasn't anything. So I think that's – that. I mean, it took 10 years of the drinking and all this kind of other stuff that goes with it where you're thinking – Mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong I, I don't think i was ever really an alcoholic but if i went out i was binging hard mm-hmm. and then i was eating crap mm-hmm. and
2: you just Which is a depressant as well dispersed. and then you're in that sort of cycle right of escape recovery uh you know anxiety's worse and it feels worse and you know that whole cycle yeah yeah
0: exactly and i think that that's that's been the biggest problem but now actually talking so when i came into the mental health space kind of back end of 2015 early 2016 that was when I started to look at okay what are the statistics involved in this you know is there anything that you know we could put a dent in the first statistic I picked up on was that 45% of onset mental health is down to work workplace environment how you live your working day this kind of thing I thought shit that's like half of mental health right yeah. So I thought there's definitely something in that and no one was really talking about it still at that time. There wasn't a lot of buzz. It wasn't like on LinkedIn you jump on and there's
2: a positive story of something which yeah. you
0: get every day now. Yeah. So there was just nothing at that time. And so I that was when I started the blog and I started going to speak at events and I was getting keynote speech. I mean, 2016 was mad to the point where I nearly burned out just because I was being asked to come and speak everywhere.
2: And was that just off the back of the blog, like you doing your sort of ranting or release or trying to talk about that? And then you started realizing that men weren't around and you you got notice? Actually,
0: at first, it was because I went to a networking event and there was a mental health charity there called Oakleaf, who are kind of my primary mental health charity. They're they're like a vocational charity. So they teach people um, all sorts of vocational skills to get them back into work. So it could be anything from alcoholism through to military guy with PTSD. Mm -hmm. So they've got hundreds and hundreds of clients and they were there because they're trying to promote, they don't get any crazy sponsorship and things like that because they've got a certain amount of publicity. But if you haven't got the BBC and all that jazz, people don't want to throw money in the pot. Right. So they were kind of living on borrowed time. And I thought, okay, I want to kind of support these guys. And when they started, one of the ladies, Tea, got up and did a speech about, men's mental health and it was at that point that I went Mm. okay and then when she spoke about the fact that men don't put their name to it I thought haven't got any money
2: yeah but how else
0: now who who gives a shit how bad can it get yeah (laughs) because at the time I was thinking all I was caring about was like what do people think of me from a societal perspective and have I got enough money to be sustainable yeah And so I was kind of like, okay, so I've tried this whole getting everyone to like me thing, fitting with society, (laughs) trying to drive for revenue. And fundamentally, everyone seems like a dickhead anyway. (laughs) So what's the point in trying to pander to those assholes? I'm gonna basically just scrap all of that. Only work with people that I like. Did it with my clients too, you know. A couple of years ago I just went, okay, six hundred and fifty customers gone, you know, and I've got probably 12 to 15 that I want to work with let's stick to those and that's the majority of my revenue anyway and this kind of thing so I think when you get to that point where you can just take that out of your life and try and rid yourself of that social dynamic it does frustrate me if you you know walk into an IOD conference or whatever it is and you meet people who are disingenuous or you know that pisses me off.
2: Yeah,
0: it pisses me off a, a lot. You know, and people are trying to pander to me all the time, saying, "Oh, can you?" You know, after after I set up the blog, you're right. It kind of that was, I guess, that kind of was the catalyst for wider things. Mm-hmm. So my blog is not like the most well-read blog on the planet, right? But I've managed to reach a million people over the last three years through that spidering into all sorts of things from the keynotes at one point I was writing for a magazine which went out to 120,000 people a month um I've done standard life documentation I've done red letter days I've done the building societies association I'm just about to write an article for HR director magazine you know um and so all of these different things culminating into this one message kind of went out and I met sort of how I was propelled into the keynotes, I guess, as a priority was because I got, my blog was seen by a couple of vice presidents at Unilever. Um, These guys sent it to a guy called Jeff McDonald, who I know we both know quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jeff invited me for a meeting and said, I've seen your blog. I like your blog. You know, you're running small businesses. You're working with people who are SMEs effectively as Mm -hmm. well. And I was a FTSE 500 consultant, but I had a lot of focus on changing the mental health within smaller businesses because I was acutely aware of the fact that a big organization can do things because they've got money. So they just should basically, or you're bullshit. Um, And then the smaller businesses were like people like me where actually you could end up jumping off a bridge if it really gets to that extremity. And so I thought, you know, there isn't really any help for those people. There's not help for entrepreneurs to say, actually, it is okay to feel shit. And how do we evolve that for you? And how do we change your mindset? I think my biggest dream would be to have like a dragon's den slash apprentice kind of mental health amalgamation where I get a load of mentally challenged, let's say, directors and the ceos and i coach and narrate people through this journey of okay we've picked up all these mad people they've all got these crazy ideas he's got asperger's he's got adhd she's got bipolar this kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah and then yeah. try and coach them through this process because i think i love it that that's kind of one of the things that for me that's always been missing is there just no guidance you know and if you Especially, don't seek guidance yeah which you, can, you
2: did a well, lot Well, and especially not for people who want to achieve and be successful and run businesses and do all those things and may have a diagnosis or something that they're struggling with. There's almost this little assumption that if you've got a diagnosis, great, get some support and then just like aim low, you know, aim low, work in like a nine to five, like maybe work part time, hopefully get some support from other people, you know, that kind of thing. And I that really annoys me as well, because I think there's something around choice. And yes, some people need that kind of support or even want that as part of their lifestyle. And there's no criticism about that. But I'm, I suppose what drew me to you is like, well, what about the people that fucking want to win and achieve at life and also have a past or a diagnosis or, you know, like where's the guidance or mentorship for those people?
0: When I was at school, we didn't have any kind of focus. So basically I was um I had some scouts looking at me as a youth Olympic swimmer when I was young. I was swimming from about four years old and competing from six. So
2: six days
0: Say again? You got that competitive vibe in you? Yeah, so I had that initially. Then when I went to school, my parents split up and things like this. Um like I said, when I was 12, 13, and I'd been to a range of different swim clubs. You always get bullied because you're kicking everyone's ass. So mm-hmm. I'd been through four or five swim clubs in different areas, always got bullied to the point where they were like, shit, if you can't beat them, join them, because he's kicking everyone's ass anyway, so you might as well hang out with the top guy Yeah. yeah. And you kind of went through this weird hierarchical thing. And for, for a kid who's going through that at home as well, that was very difficult. So when, I, when my parents split up, I decided that I would jack that in and I then didn't have a purpose and I was creating some disturbances at school and things like that and a teacher said to me um you know I want you to be in a play and I said okay but I'm not doing any of that bullshit where you have to go and audition and all this kind of stuff just give me a part I'll do it and then I can get out of this after school detention so my mum doesn't have to come in and I'll get bollocked, you know and um so I did this play and it was kind of other than that there was not really any guidance at school as to what can you do with your life. So then when I left and I went to drama school, my mum didn't want me to go on a gap year or anything. Cause she thought I wouldn't go back into full-time education. And she was a teacher and she knew that I was a bit all over the place. So she knew that I kind of needed a focus, but in reality, probably I, you know, when I left, I definitely didn't know myself when I left home. Mm. So that year and a half or whatever I spent at drama school was totally fucked. And when I was kicked out of there, I didn't know what to do. What do thespians do? They go and get jobs in telemarketing or sales or whatever. So I'm running my own business now. And day to day, it's still not, you know, I'm great from a commercial perspective. I can make you money like really fast, but can never seem to keep my own, ironically. (laughs) Um, But I think I didn't want to be the bipolar businessman. This is not like a dream for me.
2: This wasn't your like eight-year-old like, what do you want to be when you grow up?
0: I don't want to, specifically, I don't, I like the concept of entrepreneur, but now it's overused and it just pisses me off how everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. And basically what you've done is you've made everyone look like they just dick about. So there's this concept of entrepreneurs now where it's like, ah, he's an entrepreneur. They kind of fluff about. They don't no. really do much. They talk about a lot of ideas, but it's all bullshit. Um, and so there's there's that kind of thing. I didn't I, I didn't really I didn't really aspire to be. I mean, I, my first year in sales, I was I went to an audition for Lambda, which is another major drama school, and I was given a recall audition, and I didn't go. Almost because of like the anxiety of going back to that after mm. I'd started to earn some money month by month and I was feeling a little bit more comfortable but I really wanted to go but I don't I don't know why but something stopped me I don't know whether it was this fear of rejection or what if they then turn me down or whatever yeah, not right. But you know I'm I still I still don't know what it was that stopped it and then I continued in sales and to, to I set my own business up when I was 20 but is there's every day I'm questioning what the hell do I want to do? Frankly, if I could just work at Lego, and introduce Lego to businesses as a mental health stimulus, I think that's probably the role of a lifetime. You know, they use I, it
2: in leadership, don't they? They use Lego.
0: Yeah. So actually, do you know what? I LinkedIn send me things about because I'm a Lego obsessive. So yeah. like they send me things about Lego all the time. But when I was going mm-hmm. to school, part of the context of what I was saying there was it was like if you're not going to it or finance or well, you're going to be a lawyer yeah it's not you know weird. i had loads of indian friends at school and they they all wanted to be doctors and lawyers it was very much driven by the parents there and i but my mum and dad had never really said this is what you have to do so, I you know, I had kind of flexibility, it wasn't like they have pressed me or said you have to do X, Y, and Z. But that can feel my dad had overwhelming, done of acting right? And stuff, it can feel yeah. So, uh, in that sense, that that was kind of cool, but probably they felt like he's got enough on his plate without us telling <laughs> what to do as a job. Um, but then once I was in a job, you know, I was saying to my mom, Oh, I want to be a millionaire and all this kind of thing, I don't ever want to have to worry about money and this kind of stuff, and she was saying, You know. It's okay that that you know you you're not going to be a millionaire. You know you don't have to stress about that and blah blah blah. And I would call her up and I would talk about how sad I was doing sales jobs and this kind of stuff and working in a business. And she said, you know, you've got to stick at it. You know, I've never liked my job. You know, for the majority of the time I've been teaching, I've not liked it. And you just have to do that. That's how life works, and you have to go on and you have to yeah. make your money in that role and that kind of thing. And I've never been willing to accept that. Right. But I don't, but I never knew how to bridge the gap to what I really wanted to do. And then I was always fearful. It's not like even really worried about whether I got any acting jobs. Right. I was convinced I was going to kick everyone's ass anyway. I'm still convinced that I'm probably a better actor than most of the people who come out of my drama school, you know, but because I'm three dimensional and they just, you know, hmm. live like in the baseline. Right? Yeah. So, but I, it's, it, how do you find that mechanic that makes you tick? In a sense, I guess is a big question.
2: Yeah, I think it's. Um, this is this is what I mean. Like your mum's mes- messaging to you with the best intentions in the world is pretty much play small. You know. Uh, just be careful, you know, uh, you know, just do, so, just make some money, just stick with it. Like uh, the, almost yeah. a subtle, like encouragement to just play small, which I think lots of people, not only with mental health issues, but if they don't fit into the system, so to speak, it's like, oh, we'll just, you'll be okay. That sort of thing. What I am hearing from you is that purpose is important. So as far as looking after our mental health, whether it's a job or a business, it doesn't have to be the thing. It's not like the one. It's just like, uh, something that like lights your heart on fire or allows you to feel purposeful and you know m- you know maybe kind of goes helps you go I'm not gonna jump off the bridge today because I've got these clients or I've got this thing I've got to create or right it gives you a bit yeah, of exactly. momentum. So I'm curious um, just me and you could talk about mental health all day I think um, but I'm curious about how you look after your mental health now. So I know you've got visibility um, I know you're you're talking a lot and you're um, highlighting the issues around men's mental health and the need to speak out. You're also running a business, you're also still have bipolar, you still have a history, like all that sort of stuff. Like yeah. how do you actually look after your mental health to the point of sustaining your own success?
0: Um, I would say that um, one of the biggest things is definitely getting involved with people one hundred percent because even going and sitting at a mental health conference, Um, And there is a big stigma attached to them in itself Um, because people think it's just going to be a bunch of weepy people on stage, which is why I try and bring the energy. But working and seeing people make establish their own conclusions about who they are Mm -hmm. and seeing traits in them that are maybe negative traits that they've overcome or maybe not overcome, but traits that I see in myself. I don't take advice from anybody. So if you say, you're a bit of a tosser, kind of act like this, it's it's difficult for me to get my head around because I don't like discipline. But at the same time, I find that it's really helping me watching other people evolve and sort of understand what they've been through. And if I recognize a negative trait, then how do I look at kind of working through that? you know body has also been a big thing so my partner's uh into vegan sort of lifestyle and so I cut out uh, beef and I cut out pork and I cut out dairy pretty much completely mm-hmm. um because I did a lot of research on the anxiety related to to this kind of stuff and the endorphins that are trapped within the meat upon the animal's death and this kind of stuff and so for me that was scientific enough to say okay mm-hmm. we can all talk about veganism and we can all suggest that they're all a bunch of hippies and this kind of thing, but to be fair, the top, the top, uh, I think the the most watched sport in the world is basketball, NBA basketball, and the top seven players in the NBA basketball leagues are all vegan, right? So when you've got that kind of thing up against the context that there's this anxiety that could be adding, you know, I didn't know. You know whether meat would add this anxiety or whether it was some kind of propaganda. But at the same time, I thought, you know, let's just try it and see if it's if that has any effect on how I feel or how I'm feeling day to day. And fundamentally, I mean, massively with the dairy, Mm -hmm. you know, massively with the dairy. So I just initially I just switched to soya milk, and I didn't really crazy amount of cheese anyway. But consciously making the effort not to have cheese kind of got me to the point where actually I felt like. In the nicest possible way, listeners, I was pooing nicely. Um, My stomach was feeling great. I wasn't feeling, you know, this turboil all the time. So it was kind of, it went from my body just feeling kind of in disarray to feeling much better or certainly more energized in myself. And so that was kind of that. I'm not saying, you know, I'm healthy every day. love a bit of Deliveroo, Wagamamas, I've got Mm. your number. (laughs) But at the same time... I'm trying to choose foods that are healthier. When I used to be a younger salesman, I was running around and I was just eating crap and whatever I could consume quickly, You know, I would. But now in London, it's a bit different where you've got all sorts of options for sushis and all sorts of things. So you've got a bit more flexibility. It costs you about 20 quid a head just to get a takeaway lunch nowadays, which is mental in itself. But at the same time, at least I'm making a conscious decision to try and choose something healthy to make myself feel better and recognizing that probably that has an effect on me. Whereas before I would have just been drinking, eating mm. KFC, whatever. And sure. then being like, Oh, why do I feel like absolute shit? Well, yeah. it's because you're drinking five pints a night and you're eating a KFC or a McDonald's before you go to bed.
2: Yeah. So, so it's and thinking about the whole person, not just the fact that you've, you've got a mental health condition and therefore need psychological whatever therapy or, or medication or whatever. But there's like thinking about the health of your whole body
0: affects the mind. Most people don't think about that at all. Mm. So you go to a doctor and they say, okay, here, have some antidepressants. But frankly, if you weren't eating so much shit and drinking so much shit, they
2: don't even ask you.
0: And you wouldn't feel crap anyway, right? Yeah. Alcohol is a depressant. So if you put a certain amount of it in your body after time when you've got no water left in your body, you're going to feel like shit. So fundamentally for me, that was, a, that was a big thing. I'm not saying it's easy to drop alcohol or whatever. I'm just saying a lot of these areas just require a bit more moderation. It doesn't matter if you're vegan. doesn't matter if you're a meat eater whatever. But,
2: but if think you, about it. Add it into your discussion around looking after yourself, right?
0: Yeah, um, just think about what it's doing for you.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, we've got 12 years to change the planet, for example. And if we don't get our finger out, we're fucked. So fundamentally, if everybody stopped eating beef tomorrow, Mm -hmm. that would decrease carbon dioxide and damage to the earth by 75%. And that's just the cows, guys.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one step. For me, all of
0: these kind of elements were like, okay, well, I'm going to be in a healthier environment. I'm not going to have this stuff just festering in my stomach all the time trying to digest, which, frankly, it doesn't very well anyway. Mm. All the cavemen in the past – You know, are living longer. The ones that eat leaves versus the ones that have eaten meat, albeit sustainable either way. So I was like, there's got to be something in this, you know. And I think that's, I think if we try and focus on that as a first point of call, even the eating healthier means you don't necessarily have to stop getting pissed every now and then, right? But you just have to be aware that actually, if you feel like shit the next day, or you feel in a lull that that gin and tonic was probably what did it and it's not actually something wrong with you
2: Mm.
0: something's out of balance and you just need to look at changing that
2: do you have vitamins
0: the next day mm, etc
2: do you take medication do you need medication to also help balance things out
0: i probably need all sorts of medications to be honest but um i don't take any medication
2: okay so you You use sort of healthier ways to to manage what's going on for you
0: to some degree, you know, for in, in the past for a long time, I've smoked marijuana and stuff like that because I felt that was the only thing that kind of calmed me down, in a sense. So my brain is so erratic that when I became an entrepreneur and got into business, even in the evenings, I'm constantly thinking, and it's kind of, my mind is buzzing. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of, for a long time, that was a way of controlling that focus. And so over the period of that, 14 years i've gone from all the ideas and creative energy and crazy stuff which doesn't really direct you in the right manner but it's very nice down to refining what that looks like so that i can manage my daily basis now i have two companies it's very simple what those companies do for me it's organized and it's kind of not easy to execute because running our own business isn't easy to execute but I'm kind of just trying to compartmentalize different elements. What what creates stress in my working day? What creates st- stress in the way I live my life? You know, I walk a lot. I've got three dogs. You know, so automatically you've got a different level of energy when you're getting up and you have to do these kind of things. Yeah, so it's so thinking of think – that's, that's the take home, really.
2: Yeah, so, yeah. so it's what's uh, relatable for you. And it sounds like you've tried lots of different things. So experiment, uh, test it. Uh, read, educate yourself, understand the science behind it and essentially do the things that are in your control to look after yourself.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the the biggest thing really I think is once you understand or have a label to some degree, so everybody wants to put you in a box, but once you understand or have a label to some degree as to what's going on with you, then you've got options.
2: Okay. But it wasn't until I
0: fully understood that there was a clinical issue with me that I was able to go, okay, what are these options? And then start to try and slowly compartmentalize those so that I could find what worked for me. And I'm not an angel, right? But at the same time,
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel pretty positive and I I really feel in a state now where I can't even imagine the concept of waking up tomorrow and wanting to take my own life. I cannot even imagine it.
2: So that's so, night and day now?
0: Yeah, and even from being there and being in those moments where it was at that extreme, I still don't feel – I feel like it would take a lot. I mean, it would take a lot to get me anywhere near, even close to comprehension of that. So, you know, I'm driven. I don't know what the hell I want in life. I don't think anybody does. Obviously, that job at Lego. But – Apart from that, you know, I don't, I just want to focus on my son and I want to give him options. Mm-hmm. I want him to know that if you play with Lego for the first 10 years of your life hardcore, yeah. you could be designing Lego and creating play sets, my friend. You don't have to be in IT. You don't have to be an accountant or a doctor. Okay. Just go with the fun. So go with the I'll fun. try not to oppress him with Lego. You know, yeah, I'll give him other options this, as well so he yeah. can be a bit more varied. But you get my point anyway. I think it's, you know one of my one of my psychologists said to me at one point the biggest advancement for your mental health especially with the relationship with your father will be when you have a child preferably a son to kind of be what you missed so Uh, i know how to raise a child off the back of robin williams alone sure you know because these (laughs) types of guys They were my father figures and, you know, I was obsessed with movie and that was that was what gave me the fundamental teachings of what what it is to be a good bloke, what it is to care, what it is to be empathetic and not to bully people or make them feel like shit, you know. And so I think now my whole focus is just around a how I can improve some of the really negative attributes that I have accumulated over the years, some through my own fault and some not through my own fault. And then how can I shield him from some of the negativity there and also just make him feel like there are options and he doesn't have to feel like he has to follow that societal
2: path. Amazing. I know that I've got two kids and, uh, it's pretty scary when we don't do the inner work and begin repeating patterns from our past. you know? Uh, without intending to. That's a fucking wake up call. Uh, but it's also a good motivator. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling that pressure. <laughs> yes. Yours is quite young. Mine are quite a bit bigger. But um, yeah, but it's a great motivator as well if you do the relentless self work uh, through varying means and learn to manage your your own mental health. Thomas, we're out of time. Um, I feel like I'll have no, to no. get you on again and we'll just have to talk work. We'll have to talk entrepreneurial because I'm in that space where. Yeah, it's, a, it's about hustle, right? It's about hard work.
0: And you know, I should be motivating you to be an entrepreneur, not saying sack that off and... No, but, and get no I think what
2: you're though. saying is be an authentic entrepreneur. If you are one and you have a mission that you want to create, well, then work your ass off for it, but also look after yourself, right? Um, yeah, and
0: don't be disingenuous. No, I I, I, I I agree.
2: I think across the board, it's the disingenuous that's fucking annoying, right? It's the people who are living the fake version, as we talked about earlier, through their their kind of Instagram idea of who they think they should be and are coming to me as a therapist, go literally the amount of clients I have that are 30 something going, I'm miserable, but everyone thinks I'm this and I'm on this track and I don't even want to do it. You know? Um, and I'm like, it's never too late. Switch it all up. You know, think for yourself. Right. Um, who knew that my cult upbringing would give me such a strong voice for the people right, that's no <laughs> how yeah. to think, about, think for themselves right um, you are
0: preaching, you are preaching, it's good It's good. but it's in the right vein now you so get it though. good to go you're
2: I'm, I'm good preaching to, go. to the converted in this case um,
0: exactly, well I agree, I agree
2: I think we'll, we'll preach together at some point when it comes to, to mental health and even <laughs> clinicians, like I want to shake a few clinicians and just get them back to the human element of empathy and truly listen
0: Uh, I've got loads. They all want my number so they can talk about curing me. So I'll I'll pass them over. Let's
2: do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, Thomas, thank you so much for your time and telling us a little bit about your story. If people want to connect with you in some way, where can they find you? Obviously, the the blog, the bipolar businessman. Anywhere else?
0: Uh, I would say probably that's the best way to go. So the blog is 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 a great starting point. But I'm on LinkedIn and there has to be some degree of anonymity. Um, but I've got, you know, I've got a Facebook page, which is growing by about a hundred likes a day, yeah. you know, which will probably be 30 or 40,000 in the next six to 12 months. And then, you know, so I'm trying to find different ways for people to interact. So I've got a LinkedIn page, I've got my Facebook page and the blog as well. So that people feel like they can contact me direct. Yeah. Um, the most important thing is just that I'm, I'm always open. So I don't, really care if you've got issues, by all means come and talk to me about them. I'm not going to send you away and say, oh, I'm too busy, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what I got. You yeah, know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm constantly getting told off at home for talking to too many people, but at the same time, I think it's important to do so every now and then, you know?
2: Absolutely. So feel free to get in touch. We'll, we'll put all of that into the show notes. sounds like that's part of your your purpose in turning your adversity into your advantage. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll be in
1: touch soon.
0: No worries. Thanks very much for your time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.